1: Thanks for listening to the Jazz Johal Show podcast today on the pod. How much power does Bitcoin mining consume? We look at the real-world cost of the digital race for Bitcoin. And one knee surgery, por favor. We speak to a British Columbian who, who's so tired of being stuck on a health waitlist, he decided to get medical help in Mexico. And the New Oak Ridge, is it just a mall for the ultra-wealthy? Or is there space for us mere locals? That's all next on the Jazz Johal Show podcast. The trucking company at the center of a major overpass strike along Highway 99 in Delta just after Christmas last year is taking the province to court, claiming that being suspended from operating is making it lose millions of dollars in business. Shahan Freight forwarders filed a lawsuit at the BC Supreme Court asking for the Ministry of Transportation to overturn the suspension. Of the company's safety certificate, which of course halted its entire fleet. Now, the company filed a petition seeking to challenge that suspension. On the basis that they didn't believe it, it is necessary, it necessarily ensures road safety. Now, Johan uh, Freight Forwarders did say that the driver involved in the in the uh, December crash failed to follow instructions of the company's safety manager when he realized his load was over height. The driver, get this, instead called some friends who were not associated with the company, who told him it would be fine to proceed, according to court documents. Now, Premier David Eby uh, was asked about uh, the court case. Today or the court
2: action. Here's his response. British Columbians, uh, especially in the Lower Mainland, have been uh, astonished and frustrated by the number of overpass strikes. This is where a truck hits a bridge or an overpass on a highway. And one of the worst offenders has been this company, uh, Shohan, uh, and I understand they have hit six overpasses. The uh, astonishing part uh, is that the company thinks that they should be still able to operate. And they're going to court uh, to challenge uh, our prohibition on their operating until they figure out how high bridges are and how high their trucks are. My only hope is that on the way to court, they don't run into a bridge. I encourage them to take the bus or some other form of public transit on the way to the courthouse.
1: God, I gotta admit, that was kind of funny. Good for the premier on that one. All right, join me now uh, to talk about this issue. And it's not a funny uh, funny issue, but it was that, that comment that caught me uh, from Premier Evie there. Uh, Dave Earl is president and CEO of BC Trucking Association. Hi, Dave.
0: Hi, Jazz. How are you?
1: Good. I'm glad the Premier's got a bit of a sense of humour there. Uh, but it is a serious issue, as the Premier said there, uh, that this particular company uh, has hit bridges or overpasses six times since 2021. Four of those strikes uh, were in 2022. Uh, alone. Your, your thoughts here, um, most people don't expect companies like, to, like this that are accused of something uh, so serious that to go to court. What are your thoughts on this?
0: Well, I, I think the Premier's comments, Jazz, are you know, reflective of the frustration that our members feel and everybody feels. But uh, one of the things that you know, we always have to be mindful of is that companies um, you know, do have the ability to explain their actions, if you will. When you look at the ministry's webpage, it's pretty clear that this, this uh, particular company had previous interactions and previous hits uh, and had their operating certificate suspended before for a period of time. Um, so, you know, clearly something happened, and uh, they, they were able to show that they were going to be able to operate safely, and then we had this other incident happen. Um, I'm not privy, you know, to the ministry's investigation, and we'll have to wait to, to see what those findings are. Um, you know, and if the company doesn't want to wait or believes they've been dealt with inappropriately, like anybody in Canada, they have the right to pursue litigation, and they are.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, um, I, I got to ask you one thing. I mean, according to its own uh, uh, sort of in in the documents in the court documents, they do say that look, the driver didn't follow company guidelines. Uh, instead end up calling some friends I'm gonna assume they're uh, fellow truck drivers who said that uh, it was fine to proceed I mean that is a bit I'm a bit gobsmacked even that uh, when he's when somebody tells you it's not, it's not safe in your company you end up calling some friends saying it's okay uh, how common is something like that in your mind?
0: Uh, Jez, that's bizarre like I, I, I to say it's uncommon i'm I'm like you gobsmacked stunned, shaking my head like what are you thinking um <laughs> You know, I don't know. I, I can't even imagine. I mean, at this point, it, it's you know, it's information that's contained in a, in a court filing and it'll get tested by, uh, by a judge at some point or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I'm stunned. Like, I, I have never heard that. I mean, I don't know about you, uh, but when I have a question at work about to do something or not do something, I don't call a buddy. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just
1: bizarre. And this, look, this will be tested in court uh, and the conversation will occur there, uh, uh, and that's fine. But when I also uh, read that, just just that comment alone, I think back to what our listeners uh, have been saying. And they're like, this is all driver specific. You can have all the safety regulations you want, but it comes down to drivers. And one could argue with what our mm-hmm. listeners have been saying. This sort of points to, mm-hmm. once again, it's a driver issue, and it may not necessarily be even a company, company safety mm-hmm. regulations or not, just a driver mm-hmm. not doing what was required.
0: Oh, it, Jazz, it could be. Like, I mean, let's be crystal clear we all are people who make our own decisions. Whether or not I, I think it's bizarre or not, maybe this is how that driver operated. Um, you know, I, I have no idea. I said, we'll figure that out, but it speaks again to that larger issue. You know, what are we doing about it? And we're doing a lot. I mean, since we last spoke and we've been working closely with the ministry and ICBC, and there's a whole bunch of initiatives and processes and outreach programs and education and increased enforcement, evaluations of training. All of this stuff is ongoing, and we'll be happy to poured out as soon as we get a bit more of a cohesive framework around it. But there's a lot of work going to get at that very issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of points along the line um, you know, where things have happened. It begins with the customer and it ends with the with the driver. Yeah. And you know, we need to get better at it.
1: Now, the, the lawyers for the Chauhan uh, Group says that the, the group Chauhan Group Limited has a family connection with the company in BC, but they're separate legal entities. You and I talked uh, – um, uh, we talked about this. Sometimes there may be one – overarching or parent company but they have mm-hmm. different legal entities in different provinces and if you mm-hmm. if you ban one in in one province doesn't mean the other one can't be running or vice versa um is this still you touched on this a little bit i mean is this something that's still gonna have to be dealt with by the federal government in regards to you know i know we banned one arm of your company but the other six are still running uh, do we need a national conversation about maybe all six of them should be suspended temporarily
0: well, that that conversation is live and underway. Um, Minister Fleming wrote to his uh, his federal his other provincial and federal counterpart um, about three weeks ago, almost a month ago now, and we've stepped in as much as we can in supporting it. As is our federal entity uh, within the industry, saying we have to do better. Um, can we get to completely where we would like to be? Um, I don't know. That's a question for constitutional lawyers, but I know we could do better. Mm-hmm. And that's what this minister and, and we are very much focused on is, uh, is making sure that we, we have a better conversation and better tools to address this.
1: Uh, I know it, it had to get to this point, but do you think we're, we're going to turn the corner on this uh, this year in 2024? Just because of it's so high profile, the mm-hmm. penalties are, are a lot higher. The uh, attention is significant uh, from whether the media mm-hmm. or the public or from elected officials. Do you think we'll turn the corner in 2024 on this issue?
0: Man, jazz, I hope so. I, I really do. You know, we're going to work really, really hard to make sure that we do. And I know we've got a lot of partners that are trying to do it as well. Um, You know, industry itself is really trying to take strides, and what it comes down to is we're going to have to find uh, the individuals, be they, you know, behind the wheel or or sitting behind a desk, um, who aren't taking this seriously enough. You know, wherever they are, it's a matter of, uh, you know, making sure that we get their attention, and they start giving us the, uh, the attention it deserves. Dave,
1: as always, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me let's talk about something uh, I don't know a lot about. I mean, I do follow technology and I love technology. We cover tech on this show a lot, but cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin is something I don't pay a lot of attention to because I still rely on old fashioned money. I'm not ready for Bitcoin and all that sort of stuff, but it's having a huge impact. Uh, on energy consumption. Uh, in fact, cryptocurrency has an energy consumption problem. Bitcoin alone is estimated to consume about 127 terawatt hours a year in energy. That's more than many countries, including Norway. Now, in the U.S., cryptocurrency activity is estimated to emit about 25 to 50 million tons of CO2 each year, on par with the annual emissions from diesel fuel used by the U.S. railroad. So decarbonizing the crypto industry uh, remains essential to achieving um, a safe climate future. Well, what's that happen? Well, Bitcoin miners have now been looking at British Columbia for greener energy. They require th- three things, of course, sufficient space, renewable power source, and an internet connection. And many of them have found uh, those places at old forestry towns here in British Columbia. Think Houston, think Canal Flats, think Ocean Falls. Well, now cryptocurrency one cryptocurrency firm has lost a bid to force BC Hydro to provide some of the vast Amount of uh, energy it needs. Conifix Timber, which is a forestry firm that branched out into uh, cryptocurrency, uh, went to the BC Supreme Court to have uh, the policy declared invalid. But uh, the court last week says that the government's move to uh, pause new connections for cryptocurrency mining for 18 months was reasonable. And was not unduly uh, discriminatory. Now, within the uh, court affidavit, BC Hydro's own CEO Christopher O'Reilly said that uh, uh, that particular company, Conifex, would have consumed two two and a half million megawatt hours of electricity a year. That's enough power and heat uh, power to heat more than five hundred seventy thousand apartments. Uh, so that's a tremendous amount of energy. Joining me to talk a little bit about cryptocurrencies. And, of course, uh, the province's policy is Josie Osborne, B.C.'s Minister of Energy, Mines and Low Carbon Innovation. Minister, thank you for joining us today.
3: Thanks so much for having me
1: on. My apologies for the lengthy introduction, but I thought it was required to to explain (laughs) cryptocurrencies and where Bitcoin fits and where British Columbia fits in. First of all, your thoughts on the decision.
3: Well, I welcome the decision by the court, and I think it affirms the direction that we have chosen to go, which was to put a pause on these connection requests because of the enormous amount of electricity that they consume, and the fact that they really provide very few benefits for British Columbians. and of course we want to be able to help people make the switch to electric vehicles or heat pumps or electrifying industry and we need to use our clean electricity here in BC for those kinds of benefits that British Columbians want.
1: Uh, now the ones that are operating here, the jobs, as you say they don't they don't hire a lot of people, right? It's 50 or 60 in some of these f- uh, uh, facilities.
3: Well, it's very small. That's right. So compared to, say, a mine, for example, for the same amount of energy that a mine could use compared to a crypto operation, the employment could be up to 30 times as much.
1: Um, does this mean there'll be no cryptocurrency expansion or Bitcoin mining in this province simply because, I, and I use this one, one firm as an example, 570,000 apartments uh, in B.C. alone? I mean, that would mean we don't actually want Bitcoin mining in this province.
3: Well, we have some Bitcoin mining or crypto mining here in the province now. And at the time we put the moratorium in place, the temporary suspension, there were 13 uh, projects that were in operation. And so they have moved ahead through the connection system. And there are about 273 megawatts of electricity. But Hydro knew that there were 21 more coming up in the line, and that would have been 1,400 megawatts of electricity, an enormous amount, like you like you described in your intro, more than what Sightsee would bring. So that why that's why it was so important to put this pause on. As to what it's going to look like going forward, we're doing that work right now to develop a permanent framework. So we've been consulting with industry, uh, working with First Nations, listening to communities and other stakeholders that have spoken up and uh you know we have a, put a 18 month pause on and so you know this spring we should be coming forward with the with the next decisions
1: i just look at uh you know your your clean energy plan as a province as a government uh i look at uh at the desire to uh, you know get rid of uh, fossil fuel vehicles by 2035 which will require evs which requires more power uh and many other uh things that we're talking about in this province uh where does uh... cryptocurrency mining fit in our priorities at the end of the day if, if there if all of this is a draw on power And the priority is, uh, you know, making sure we get into EVs or cleaner energy, making sure we move to a greener future. When I look at the top 10 priorities of what will require power, we've already said we're going to be in trouble if we don't build more power in this province. Not just necessarily hydroelectric, but, you know, it could be uh, wind and solar, whatever it may be. But in regards to priorities, crypto mining has got to be priority number 782 when you look at what our needs are in this province.
4: Well, that's
3: the reason why we put the pause on applications or connections so that we could do the more detailed analysis of what this industry was projected to grow to and bring that into alignment with our electrification plans and the priorities of british Columbians. so again looking at job potential economic development greenhouse gas reduction benefits we know from bc hydro's call for expressions of interest in the northwest part of our province for example that The port wants to electrify. Mines want to electrify. There's a lot uh, that we need to do across all corners of the province. So we want to use our electricity for the best purposes and the most benefit to British Columbians. And as far as what crypto's role is in that, we'll see moving forward with the permanent framework that we eventually come up with.
1: Are other jurisdictions... um uh, how do they view cryptocurrency? I'm just curious if the other provinces have uh, sort of a broad policy or even states here in, in the U.S. that that have some sort of a crypto policy. Do you know of any other jurisdictions that have, have already drawn out policy?
3: Yes. The concern that we have here in British Columbia is shared by a lot of other places. Quebec is a little bit ahead of us. So they've gone ahead and done that work. They put a suspension into place. They looked at what a, a possible cap Of electricity for that sector could be or ways that they could work with the sector to turn it off and turn it on when that electricity was needed for other reasons. But uh, other provinces, other states down in the U.S. are doing the same thing. And I think there's a general sense that uh, people are paying a lot of attention to the amount of electricity that this sector wants to use and that we need to do it, make these decisions really wisely. And again, to meet the values of of British Columbia. I think it's common sense for most people that we want to use our electricity for the best benefit for us here in British Columbia.
1: Yeah, I, the reason I asked that question is I was just looking at some numbers today in the U.S. Uh, President Biden has, and his administration have brought up concerns over uh, crypto mining and 2% of energy consumption. 2% for the entire country is now being taken up by uh, crypto and I'm not sure how that helps uh, when there's so many other needs uh, ahead of uh, that industry but hey, I'm looking to be con- uh, convinced perhaps by the industry and they can explain why, and I'm sure you are as well. Minister, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me on.
1: Let's revisit uh, this Selina Robinson issue, uh, and I know this happened a few days ago, but I think it's important we talk about this because I think there's a broader... Repercussions to this. Now you know, there's always calls for politicians to resign. The opposition says it. There's always some special interest group. Uh, and today, in a era of outrage politics, it's it's a regular occurrence. But rarely do politicians resign. Uh, but in this case, uh, with uh, our post-secondary minister Selena Robinson, it happened relatively. quickly. Quickly, all based, of course, on a Zoom call she was on with the Beni Brith Association, where she referred to a piece of land as a crappy piece of land in regards to uh, Israel and the lack, of, implying basically there was a lack of resources. Uh, Ms. Robinson, of course, apologized and agreed to take um, anti-Islamophobia training as well. Uh, but there are many calling for her uh, resignation, including a dozen BC mosques and Islamic associations, along with many left-wing groups, even. Uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh called her comments offensive and irresponsible. I don't think there's much love lost between the BC NDP and the federal NDP. Uh, Premier David Eby was asked about this, of course, and here are his comments on uh, his his thoughts in regards to how the Jewish community felt about Ms. Robinson's removal.
2: Right now in our province, uh, it is a profoundly sensitive time for so many people. Um, We have uh, uh, war in the Middle East. Uh, We have war in Europe. Uh, We have uh, a growth in racism and discrimination. We have politicians internationally and domestically seeking to drive divisions between us uh, to focus on uh, what our differences are rather than what brings us together. This is a direct threat to British Columbia and what makes us successful.
1: Now, Mr. Eby did defend his minister for many days, but uh, it was an abrupt change. And by one thirty the other day, uh, Ms. Uh, Robinson was gone. Vaughn Palmer was on with uh, my colleague Simi Sarah this morning. Uh, and take a listen to how he describes the timeline in regards to uh, Ms. Robinson's departure. When the premier was asked Simi what happened between Friday when he was standing behind her and Monday when he was dumping her, he said... Well, you know, we realized that the work here to repair relations with the community was going to take a lot more of her time, and and she wouldn't be able to manage the administration of uh, post-secondary education. So he's the one who said he said it really is just a math problem, it's a time management problem. I mean, that's just BS to I me. Mean, we know yeah. what
2: happened here. Yeah. He chickened out because he had lost the support of a key community that he needs in an election year. And because he'd had to cancel a fundraiser and it was obvious to him the damage and the protests weren't going to go away,
1: so he sacrificed a minister. Von Palmer being Vaughn Palmer, but he's bang on there, folks, uh, as always. Uh, joining me now is Mary Polak, a strategic advisor for Maple Leaf Strategies. You also know she has held many portfolios in government, including the Minister of Environment, and she joins us now. Mary, thank you for your time today.
4: Oh, thank you for having me, Jazz.
1: I know you came uh, out in defense of Selena Robinson when all this was uh, going on uh, probably about a week ago. Uh, Your thoughts on what's transpired?
4: Well, ironically, David Eby is the one who is going to have to do a tremendous amount of work in in the Jewish community to try and regain that trust. Remember how the Jewish community came out with great generosity, I might add, um, when his Post his social media post acknowledging the Holocaust, instead um, acknowledged increases in Islamophobia uh, by mistake, and they were very generous about it. And I want to I want to focus on that part of it. Uh, there's no question that some people were offended by what Ms. Robinson said. Um, I don't think any person in public life, as long as Selena, has gotten through it without saying and anything that. They uh, at least one or two things that they didn't wish they had back. But when we compare what typically has caused cabinet ministers to resign or be forced to resign, is so far and away different from the level of commentary or, or mistake in her commentary uh, made by Ms. Robinson. It's it's absolutely chilling to think we've come to the point where. What seems to be the criteria is not uh, some kind of objective measure of what it was you said, but how offended and which group were offended. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is a disturbing and a chilling experience for anyone who's in public life to think how on earth, how on earth do we engage in real authentic political discourse when that's the yardstick.
1: Do you think this puts a chill, uh, a further chill for elected officials? And what I mean by that is just, you know what, I'm just going to stick to my talking points. Uh, I'm just, or I'm just not going to make myself available to uh, broader discourse with community groups over Zoom, where you can be recorded. I mean, is is this a further reminder to us why uh, why politicians sometimes aren't as open as they need to be?
4: Well, and I think especially in the age of social media, where Uh, it's pretty difficult to tune out. Um, You have to, in a democracy, you have to be able to challenge ideas. Uh, My mother's old saying was uh, to be easy on people and hard on ideas. When you're hard on ideas, some people are going to feel offended. The fact that someone feels offended may mean you need to reach out to them May mean you need to do some work with them to build their trust or, or build some understanding between you. But does offending someone mean you should be resigning your position? How do you get through a day in politics if you are truly engaged in political discourse? How do you get through a day without offending? someone. And uh, I I just think that's, that's the very worrying place that we've come to.
1: I'm curious, but how much of this uh, falls on Ms. Robinson's shoulders because of the language she used? We are in the midst of a of uh, very much a heightened conversation and debate around the Middle East. Uh, first of all, there was a terrorist attack, deep hurt and anger uh, among those uh, of, of obviously Israeli citizens, those of the Jewish faith, which uh, where Ms. Robinson comes from, and a tremendous amount of anger. There is a broader conversation about the Middle East, the treatment of Palis- Palestinians uh, post-World War II. That's a broader conversation uh, as well but should she not have been much more careful with her words as well should she have been able to should, should she should she not have recognized the moment as well and say you know what i'm going to be very careful here because i need to be because i'm an elected official i need to sp- uh, speak for everyone i shouldn't be using terms like uh, crappy piece of land
4: well uh, two points on that uh, one she acknowledged that right i mm-hmm. mean that was her apology too uh, was that she shouldn't have used that language and i think even most commentators myself included who who side uh, with Selena in terms of the resignation who side uh, with her on that um, would also acknowledge that but um, to equate what she has said and and I urge people to read uh, there's ample um, access to it on social media read uh, what it is she said at that panel she was discussing the history of Jews around the world the history of uh, Holocaust and how so many people aren't aware of it, and how people are not aware of how the Jewish state was founded uh, and how that came about. And so I think we can understand where she was going with it. Did she say it in a way that could be found offensive? Absolutely, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you compare that to the kinds of other things that have been said by other politicians on this very same topic, and yet she's the one who's out of cabinet? Uh, That just seems like a a great big uh, gap, a chasm um, between what's happened to her versus what's happened to those who have literally... Uh, been out with groups inciting violence and yet they remain in their position.
1: Let's look at crass politics for a second. You're the Premier of British Columbia. This continues to grow. You have a sizable Muslim population uh, that uh, is banning your folks uh, from mosques and a variety of other Islamic associations and visiting. Number one, you have people showing up to your fundraisers and your caucus meetings, attracting media attention, disrupting some of these meetings, disrupting some of your fundraising activities, and you're mere weeks away from a throne speech, a budget, and eventually a narrative that you must write for this spring heading into an October election Um, in many ways one would argue just based on politics alone uh, Mr. Eby was backed into a corner and he couldn't do much more and he had to do what was required here and and, and I hate to say it but give the folks who wanted a resignation a resignation well so
4: there you have hit the nail on the head Um, is that what we want is that what we want do we want um, politicians those leading us those governing us do we want them to be purely motivated um, by how this looks from a political standpoint? There was a time in our society when we highly valued political leaders who actually stood up to the mob, who actually said, no, I'm going to do what I think is right. And we know what he thought was right. Cause he said it in the earlier days. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so before his big shift, um, so I guess that's our choice, right? Do we want people who are going to stand up um, and back their people when they've done the right thing? Because she apologized, she even agreed to go uh, to anti-Islamophobia training. I mean, she did all you could possibly do, um, and he didn't back her up. Well, yeah, I mean, so I, there is that. Is that where we want to be?
1: Yeah. No, you raise a good We know she's not a racist. We know she doesn't uh, yeah. have ill will toward, towards those of the Muslim faith, but words didn't come out the way they should have and uh, and i think you raise a very good point as always mary thank you so much for your time
4: you're very welcome thanks jess
1: uh, joining me now is our show contributor, Jerry Mayor Judson. How are you doing?
5: Oh, not so bad, thanks. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, day good. three of the Selena Robinson saga. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was actually looking forward to this segment today with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that we cover shopping malls very often, um, <laughs> but I think this is important. I mean, I don't live at Oak Ridge. I, I've never lived at by Bi- Oak Ridge, but Oak Ridge has um, a lot of uh, people have opinions on Oak Ridge. Uh, I still remember the old white spot there. I don't know if it's still coming back or if it's there now. But this development at Oak Ridge, uh, Oak Ridge Park, I think they're calling it yes. now. Yes. It's just stupid. It's always <laughs> just going to be Oak Ridge. No one's going to go Oak Ridge Park. Gonna, I'm going to Oakridge Park. I drove by it the other day and I was just in awe of... Um, the buildings and, and how massive it is. And to my understanding, there was an announcement today from Oak Ridge Park. Yes, from Oak Ridge Park. So we are announcing that – I say we like I'm affiliated. Yeah.
5: But <laughs> we we heard um, the kinds of retailers that will be at the, the new improved Oak Ridge Park. Okay. And I guess – I guess I wasn't here actually yet when Oak Ridge Center was really was, – was a fully functional shopping center. Yeah. But I hear – there was a conception that it was upscale as well. It had a Tiffany's anyway. It had a Harry Rosen anyway. Yeah. Um, but we're talking luxury, luxury now. We've got Louis Vuitton is going to get in there.
1: Louis Vuitton?
5: We're going to get Prada, Versace. Dersace, sorry, there's going to be a Miu Miu boutique, there's going to be an Alexander Wang boutique in there and these are some of the first boutique locations for these two in Canada, I think, or at least Western Canada so it's going to be this, this shopping center, this sort of experience is going to be 20% devoted to luxury stores like that. So uh, the segment we got played in with Kiss by Prince. And the first lyric in that song is you don't have to be rich, but you do a little bit to to engage with these
1: retailers. Well, the the site itself is 20, almost 29 acres. And then I guess the the new mall is actually twice the size of the uh, original mall, yes. so it's going to be a lot bigger. Huge. 3,300 homes for 6,000 residents and 800,000 square feet of office space. But, you know, the the, the condos that they were offering are for, up for sale were not local prices, no. right? And that's, that's the challenge. I mean, I, I know there's going to be some affordable housing. I know it's by SkyTrain and all that sort of thing. But it's rarefied air we're talking about here in regards to average incomes, right?
5: Yes. Looking especially for the neighborhood. Now, I guess this statistic, it comes because there's a lot of seniors in Oak Ridge. Mm -hmm. Um, So, generationally, there are just like a little more older folks that live there. So, there's a... It's the... I have the statistic here. The second highest low income rate in Vancouver's local planning areas. So, it's it's not the wealthiest place in Vancouver. In fact, yeah, quite the opposite. So... It just seems a little bit interesting that they're choosing this, and especially it's by Langara College. You know, we don't really have a whole schwack of affordable housing there for students going there. Mm-hmm. So it, it's 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 interesting. And I was on the website, right? And I was looking at, because of course, this development has a website devoted to every single thing going on there. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, the, the 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 buildings that they boast it seems it's very very nice very luxurious it's very Italian as a, a lot of what they're a lot of what they're doing it's great it looks very nice and it claims to be um, a cultural hub does Oak Ridge Park Oak Ridge Park wants to be a cultural hub so they say there's a whole web page on their website devoted to it
1: some of these condos are available for four million
5: dollars oh paltry uh, just four million dollars
1: oh my God. wow we. oh my anyway God. I mean that's I guess that... the, the like I don't, I don't, you know, I understand why they're doing what they're doing. And certainly the pictures look fabulous, right? Do they ever? A uh, hundred and, you know, each one's got like different units, different sizes, different floor plans. Um, but you know what I found always interesting? When I was living in China, in Beijing, uh, you go by real estate offices there. They'd always have, just like here, pictures uh, on the windows and stuff like that. The amount of times I saw pictures uh, with uh, 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 condos being sold in Vancouver,
6: oh, right? yeah. it would just
1: blow your mind. Like wow. you literally, you go, wait a minute, am I back in Vancouver? Like they've just be, be pre-sales. So for, for even these types of projects to get the funding that is required just to start building from the bank and approvals, you're going to have to have some international buyers. I'm not saying they're all international, but it does speak to the cost – of of these projects. I'm just looking here. Twenty nine hundred dollars a square foot. That would that would make yeah. That's a three bedroom, three bathroom, sixteen hundred square feet, four point eight million.
5: That's that av- so. Okay, that dollars per square foot is an insane evaluation. It shouldn't be anywhere over
1: eleven hundred
5: dollars. And that's
1: inflated too. Per square foot, that's about a month's rent for a one bedroom apartment right now like, for six hundred square feet, right? So. That's
5: so great. Also, to your question, it is unclear if the white spot is gonna stay. I try I looked into it. Really? We are unclear on the fate of the white spot. The safeway is gonna be shrunken a little bit and turned into a sobies. They're owned by the same company. So there will still be a grocery store there, so you can still walk and get your groceries and they're, they're, it's still a hub in that capacity. They're going
1: to sell $8 oranges or something like that, <laughs> Whole Foods or something, you know. Here, oh, well, a le- bag at of, least it's not a Whole Foods, Here's, at a, least. Ba- here's a bag of potato chips, three-quarters air, right? Three-quarters
5: air, 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 but they're so good and extra crunchy and they are yogurt-flavored. So, the
1: question really is, I mean, okay, yeah. we do like them all, but... Uh, we talk about housing crisis. Like, I know they're going to have affordable housing there. It's always just a small portion of it, right? I mean, maybe we should have, should we have forced developers to think differently for Oak Ridge and say, you know what? 50% of it has to be for sure. everyday rent for everyday Forced people. Forced
5: them I to pivot because I know this, we went through, I think it, the application was 2014 mm-hmm. or approval was 2014. No, it, for, approval was 2014 and I think construction yeah began in 2019. Mm-hmm. So we, I mean, I, it wasn't so, the affordability crisis was not so exacerbated at that time. So then maybe, I mean, it's always been a housing crisis in Vancouver and it's always been an afford- affordability crisis rather in Vancouver. But you know, how, how can you have foreseen what exactly 2020 and 2021 did to the economy as as we're sitting in it right now. Yeah. So maybe I'm not, I'm not out here trying to give developers all the the flowers in the world because I think that you know. But it's 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 non-zero. It's something. And I also found a projection for the neighborhood of Oak Ridge. Mm-hmm. It's projected to grow by f- about f- more than fifty thousand people within a kilometer radius of this development in the next twenty years. Well, so it's and it's only got thirteen, maybe twenty thousand people in it right now.
1: The condos you see along Camby is number one. And then behind those condos, you're going to see even more more density, right? That's coming. I love it. And they do have that, sh- they're bringing in that um, food court as well, right? The timeout <gasps> yes, food court. Yes,
5: that one's cool. I think it's a really cool idea considering that Metro Vancouver has really unreal and unique food. We have so many good chefs and so much diverse cuisine that like, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I think that's very cool. I enjoy it's sort it. Of,
1: that's upscale, um food, food court, court right?
5: fair, Yeah, where there's actual chefs. Chefs and these open kitchens, and you don't have to. I mean, I love Subway, but you don't have to choose between <laughs> right. Subway,
1: Dairy Queen, and Orange Julius every day. A Friend of mine sent, sent pictures of the uh, Time Out Market in Dubai, and it's quite impressive, and it's a bit higher end, but it's not like fine dining or anything like that. But it's it's healthier food. It's it's an interesting look. It's it's a bit more up market. But I don't know. You look at that thing, and it's rarefied air in the sense that it's not really made for local people, no. local salaries. And I think that's where that's the problem. I think we we we. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you can't build and, and, and uh, build a place that is caters to local people. I don't know. Maybe That's developers don't want to. That's a
5: hub, Jazz. It's not a
1: cultural anything. Oak Ridge Park will be Vancouver's cultural hub. So give me a call on the open line. We'd love to hear from you on this issue. I mean, do you think the way Oak Ridge is being developed in regards to higher end, there's going to be some affordable housing. There always is, but it's not going to be a huge amount. Bruce Gordon uh, is in Mexico with his wife, which uh, would be quite normal this time of the year for many Canadians, but Mr. Gordon isn't there for a vacation. Uh, When Bruce Gordon turned 61, he was diagnosed with uh, osteoporosis in his joints. Uh, and he waited two and a half years to have his right hip replaced in 2017. Uh, He uh, has been waiting uh, to have his knee replaced. Uh, In March of 2022, there were more than 8,000 people uh, waiting for joint replacement surgeries, according to provincial stats. According according to the provincial government, October of uh, last year, there were more than 9,100 people waiting for knee replacements in BC. Well, Bruce Gordon just got fed up, so he decided to go to Mexico, Puerto Vallarta, to be specific, uh, to have that knee surgery. In fact, he did have that surgery not too long ago, and he is actually recovering in Puerto Vallarta at this moment, and that's where he joins us from. Bruce, thank you for joining us.
6: My pleasure. I'm I'm really excited to uh, have another opportunity to uh,
1: vent a bit on your show. (laughs) Well, last time you and I chatted Uh, was in 2023, and you had talked about your frustration with our public system and and needing a knee replacement, and then you had made plans to go to Mexico. We are reaching you in Mexico at this point. Uh, How are you feeling? Well, you know, um, (laughs) they don't give out uh,
6: opioids in Mexico for pain, uh, especially for uh, a... uh, an operation like this for knee replacement. And let me tell you, um, you got to be made out of steel uh, in order to endure the pain because they give you uh, tramadol, which is uh, at the bottom of the opioids, but not like hydromorphone, which is prescribed. And apparently it's because of the, the government uh, here doesn't like to do that. But then I learned from the doctor and a, a private nurse that I had for about a week, uh, that um, uh, Latins have a a higher tolerance to pain than us gringos in Canada and the United States, right? Which I found quite fascinating, and I said, oh, so that's why Mexicans drink so much tequila. (laughs) There you go. of course, got a laugh.
1: There you go. So now you you came here, uh, to my understanding, in early January for your knee replacement. When did you get the knee replaced?
6: Uh, I came on January 2nd. I had the um, knee surgery on the 9th
1: of uh, January. And so you're recovering now in Mexico still? Yes. And, and overall, uh, did everything work out the way you had hoped in regards to arrival, in regards to the surgery and now recovery? Generally, you've been happy with everything that occurred?
6: Yes. Yes, I have, and uh, I've been going for physiotherapy as well, and um, that's made a big difference as well. So, what can I tell you?
1: When are um, you when are you coming back to Canada?
6: I'm coming back to Canada uh, on the sixth, but I'm not coming until the evening. So, I probably won't be back uh, to Port Alberni until uh, the the eighth of uh, of uh, the month of March.
1: May I ask you how much you paid for this knee replacement? I mean you were waiting in the public system here in British Columbia, you got fed up with waiting, it was a quality of life issue as you've said before. Uh, How much did you pay to have your your knee replacement in Mexico?
6: Well it depends on you know who's um, having it done and how they're uh, how you know uh, what the clinic charges and that sort of thing. Uh, but ar- around we figured out just under $24,000. I had been told uh, uh, less than that before, but uh, there were other uh, incidents there that uh, uh, added up
1: that, uh, uh,
6: to make it under $24,000, which is still much cheaper than to have it done in Canada.
1: Um, now, you're going to be going back, uh, to my understanding, uh, later this year for a hip replacement as well.
6: Yes, uh, I've decided to come back in the middle of November to do that. And uh, funny thing, you know, uh, I have met so many Canadians while we're down here because it's this time of year, so we get a lot of Canadians and Americans down here at this time of year here in Puerto Vallarta. So I've been running into a lot of Canadians, and they are also uh, have issues in their provinces as well as some people from British Columbia that knew exactly where I was coming from and said how atrocious the uh, medical system is, and when I did your show the last time i was actually did global TV interview and on their website, they did an in depth thing on my uh, on in the written world word, and they did a um, uh, a, a few minutes uh, of me on, on, on television. And, you know, uh, they, they cornered uh, Minister, uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix, mm-hmm. and they said, Well, this guy's been winning a long time, blah, 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 blah. And he says, Well, I don't know anything about his situation, but he rattled off some ridiculous numbers and then turns to the camera and says, We have the best medical in, uh, 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 health system in all of Canada. Which really, you know, that really annoyed me big mm-hmm. time. Uh, because he, he was not, he's not correct. And by glossing over a situation, this man has absolutely no, uh, empathy, no compassion for the people that have been waiting for a long time. And, uh, what can I tell you? Um, uh, they need to, uh, Get their act together, and I and I think this is why I approached you because we have two elections coming up. One is, uh, uh, of course, the uh, federal election, and we also have the um,
1: provincial election in October. Uh,
6: provincial election as well. So this is my opportunity. I'm not running for office here. I'm trying to wake everybody up because look, we're all mortals. We're all going to be stuck in the system at some point. And uh, some people think that uh, the uh, medical system is good. They got through. But there are other people in their families or friends that are going to get into a situation where they're going to have long waits. And it's simply not fair.
1: May I ask what you're going to be potentially paying for your hip replacement this November?
6: well i 'm assuming it 'll probably be around the same price, but i 'm not entirely sure as yet
1: so really I mean, as you said twenty four k is what you paid for your knee replacement, so you know basically in Canadian dollars in Canadian by dollars that 's fifty thousand roughly you think you 'll be paying in two thousand and twenty four for a knee and hip replacement cheaper than what you would have got in Canada, but ultimately it 's fifty thousand yeah. after tax dollars that you 're going to have to pay because you just are tired of waiting for our public system to deal with this issue. yeah uh, I mean you I you you've been a wrong you've been a long supporter of public care, I'm assuming and you still are of course.
6: Absolutely and I actually uh, uh, I wish they'd uh, I would m- don't mind paying to have uh things done like we had before where everybody was uh, uh paid over a, a monthly or uh, or every 3 months would pay a premium but uh it's gotten worse, even without paying that. So they need to sit down and get their acts together. These politicians have their own uh, agendas, and uh, they are treating the, this problem uh, in, a, in a very cavalier attitude. And I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Um, you know, and of course, um, uh, people are getting depression and anxiety disorders, uh, as, as I have been suffering with for, for many years. But it exacerbated those problems, and that's what I'm trying to avoid. And uh, one other thing, uh, they just released, uh, before I left, uh, a statistic that um, the, between the ages of 5 and 17, those children in that age are 40%. Of those people are suffering from some form of mental illness, so obviously COVID has impacted that as well. Th- those feelings, and uh, and the government, federal government, has put almost five billion dollars into doing something about it, and they're not doing anything about it because it's getting worse because they can't get in into therapy and they can't get into these professionals to help guide them and navigate through their problems.
1: I'm just glad okay. uh, you're healthy and, uh, and uh, you're healing well and you're going to be back soon. And I really appreciate yeah. you going out of your way uh, to sharing your story, uh, sharing your story with our listeners and British Columbians to hopefully one day to have a much more uh, responsive healthcare system for all our citizens. So thank you, Bruce. Take care of yourself. No problem. We'll talk to you soon. The other day uh, on social media, there was a video of a large group of rats near the Broad Street, uh, Street SkyTrain station in downtown Vancouver. I've never seen such a, a big group of, uh, of rats uh, in one location. And it was all caught uh, on camera and it was posted on the website Reddit. A lot of common uh, comments from folks. Many have said that, look, this is just proves once again that we have a rat problem uh, in our city. Uh, Global BC's Catherine Urquhart comments uh, 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 did a story on that very video. Uh, take a listen.
7: For most people, rats are not exactly desirable company. There's
1: rats everywhere in Vancouver.
7: I saw lots of rats in there. That's why I don't like to eat in the mall. Recently, hundreds could be seen at Art Phillips Park near Burrard Skytrain Station. The rodents scurrying and feasting, like a scene out of Ratatouille. Rats! That fear factor tends to be the case off-screen as well. But even beyond disease risks, there can be other risks as well, mental health risks from seeing rats, being afraid of rats. Their large numbers near Skytrain are prompting questions. Is the problem getting worse? And what is being done to manage the population.
3: Rats are on an increase this year, definitely. We are seeing them more during the daytime. Now that we have the warmer weather, the ones outside are now gonna be breeding year-round as well. City of Vancouver says it received
7: 1174 rat reportings in 2023, a number it says is similar to 2022. Adding, city staff closely monitor rat-related calls, which are addressed on a case-by-case basis. As for the impact of provincial restrictions on second-generation anticoagulant rodenticides, the city said, we have not seen an increase in rodent issues. Food is pretty much a guaranteed invitation to attract Remy and family, even if you're intending it to be
3: for other animals. You're also attracting mice and rats to those areas. And what happens is mice and rats like to nest close to their food source. So now we have nesting in those areas as well, and the rodent population will definitely grow.
7: If you are hoping to keep rats away, cut back shrubs next to your home and make sure to close access points, sealing any that are larger than a quarter. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
1: There is no way those rats would have gotten into any space uh, as small as a quarter. Those <laughs> no, are big rats. So well-fed rats.
5: They, uh, yeah, they can. They can they're kind of like cats. They can kind of squish in anywhere and then get their little heads in.
1: If we have one rat in this city, we have one too many, in my opinion. This is really? where I say, yeah, I'm not. I do not like rats. Period. Full stop. And uh, I probably agree with a lot of folks. They probably think we have a rat problem in the city. We probably do. In this case, you know, it's at broad street, sky train station. There are food trucks there. People probably dumping food here and there as well. So it's a, probably a great place to feast. Great place to be a rat. But you're actually, you're, you're team rat.
5: I'm kind of team rat. Like, I will do a qualifier here. I understand that, you know, a rat in the wild, I understand that you lots of people don't like rats I understand that rats like a lot of animals carry diseases I get it rats do birds do raccoons do wild animals have diseases and I get that it's fine I think rats get a bad rap I think that they were unfairly maligned in the medieval times for spreading the plague because humans had fleas too and human to human transmission was more likely whatever Any, why are you defending them? I think they're awesome I think they're really? cute I, and There's- again I'm from Alberta This has to come up once a show, is that I'm from Alberta, and that is a rat-free province. We have no wild rats in Alberta. If they find a rat in the dump from that scurried on over from BC or Manitoba, it is on site. They will exterminate the rat, and it makes the news, and it's a really big deal when there's a singular rat in Alberta. So maybe, because rats were kept from me, I think that they're great. I actually... I, when I went to the University of Calgary, I got to work with rats in a lab. We're mm-hmm. allowed science rats. So yeah. I, in my behavioral neuroscience class, yeah. we got to go and work with rats and see how rats, how their little brains work. And got to like hold rats and put them in the pockets of our lab coats and stuff and raise up baby rats. So maybe I'm a little bit rat-pilled, as they say. I'm a little pro-rat. But I do understand that it's unnerving to see a rat. And I think that for folks who have like folks who live outside who have to live outdoors most of the year, like maybe folks in the downtown east side or just generally unhoused people that I understand. I understand that rats are a legitimate risk to you and inhaling rat urine can make you sick and you can get all kinds of diseases from proximity to rats in that way. So I understand the mental, physical impacts there. But I don't think the average human being is going to have a problematic
1: rat run in Unless the rats get, like, aggressive... they were just hanging out. There's so many of them. So many day, rats are social. Video. They
5: have little family groups. They uh, love to hang know. out together. I
1: remember once uh, when I was living in uh, traveling through Mumbai for a story, and we were driving dropping. I swear I saw the biggest rat of my life scurry across Side the street. Of a dog. I, it was like it was like a raccoon. Really. Oh my god. It was the world's biggest rat. I'm still scarred for life seeing that thing. And I just, I, I ever since then, it's just no, thank you. And I don't think this, and I don't blame the city, but I just think it, it's a problem. And I think we need to do a better job on. Staying on top of it, I think whoever took that picture. I'm glad the they video did
5: from a distance. Oh
1: my god! Look, it did. It kind of did shake me. I go, That's there was like 15 of them. There's, right? there's just a lot of rats. And They're just hanging out and right by this road there. And the I thing go, is,
5: they were we hanging didn't out. See that
1: it's before. Th- I never Fair saw enough. That's a lot of rats camps. outside
5: at once. It and yeah, was. we have more people filming them and things like that. But I do. There's also a network of little a sort of rat enclave in my neighborhood, right on, in, in Burnaby, it's right on um, Beresford Street. They have these planters that are connected. There's a little, they go under the sidewalk and they pop back up again. So the rats are all, run, the rats and the mice, they all run around in these little planters because people dump their garbage and their food. So the solution and just individual wise and city wise is to maybe don't poison all the rats, but to make the city less friendly for them. Just if we had, you know, just don't leave food outside, don't yeah. have rat food outside, don't have garbage I outside. Think rat think the buildings. As, as more people
1: live in the city, move here. Oh, yeah. Uh, and more litter, more food being thrown out sometimes. That's just what's it, going to happen. It's the nature of big city. And it, I don't like
5: that. <laughs> like, it is I, un- <laughs> unnerving to see a writhing mass of rats. That's Eggs.
1: very true. <laughs> exactly.